Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. It's a privilege and an honor to study your word together tonight, and we do so in the name of Jesus, believing that we'll hear things that you want us to know, that we will be changed to be the people that you want us to be, and that by it we'll apply the truth of your word to our lives that we could be doers of the word and not hearers only. And Father, we expect impartation from your spirit, anointings from on high, just to penetrate our very lives, changing us from glory to glory, impacting us in such a way so as to be vessels of honor, meet and prepared for the master's use. I thank you for the anointing upon my lips to proclaim the truth of your word in power and demonstration. And Father, for all things, we give you all praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Amen. We're talking about possessing our land. Possessing our land. This is lesson two, possessing our land. And first of all, let me just reiterate, God has always had a place of rest for his people. The Garden Eden for Adam and Eve. For the Israelites, it was Canaan's land. For you and for me, for believers, it is in Christ. In Christ, we have all things that pertain to life and godliness. We don't have to fight to get it. We don't have to struggle for it. We have it all right now. We have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ and all things that pertain to life and godliness, they all belong to every single one of us. And thank God, we can enjoy them. So there's no effort as far as getting them because we have them. They're already ours. Well, did you notice though that the scripture oftentimes talks about Israel's journey out of Egypt into Canaan's land? And that Paul talked about it in in the book of Hebrews, which I believe Paul wrote, but some don't. But whoever the writer was talks about it and how important that section of scripture is to all of us because it's an example that really helps us better understand how we can enter into an experience the fullness of our blessings? Absolutely. So, it's a type of our being delivered from the world and our getting into and experiencing and enjoying the fullness of our blessings. And that's why we're talking about possessing our land. Because even though it was provided for them, many of them never took possession of their land, even though it belonged to them. And the things that belong to us, I guarantee you've got an enemy that doesn't want you to enjoy it. He wants to keep you out of it, first of all, so you don't get into it. If you get into it, he'll mess you up so that you don't enjoy it. We've got to realize we have an enemy to stand against. In review, we'll throw these things up here. If you weren't here with us last week, in review. What we don't possess will possess us was number one. Adam and Eve blew it. If they would have exercised their dominion over the devil and possessed him, it would never happen. But no, what happened? He took over. The land is already ours. It's already been given to us. It belongs to us. Just like it belonged to them. Don't fear the size of the enemy. Whether you're David facing Goliath. Or if you're the Israelites before. The walls of Jericho. And the giants in the land. When God's on our side. No giant is big enough. Can you say amen? Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. Adam and Eve. Shame on you. 
for listening to the lies of the enemy and falling victim. But then also give no ground to the enemy. Give no place, no entry point, no territory to the enemy. If you open up the door, it's a whole lot easier for him to get in and keep the door open. It's better to keep it shut. We should learn from these experiences of these other people. Keep the door shut. It's a whole lot better to keep it shut. Because once the enemy gets in and sees you're vulnerable in that area of your life, he'll put the pressure on you to keep you out of the perfect will of God for your life. All right. Now to continue our study, next number six, transformation is a process that takes time. Notice in the book of Exodus chapter 23. I will not drive them out from before thee in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field multiply against thee. But little and little I will drive them out from before thee until thou be increased and inherit the land. When we come to Christ, just like when they went to the promised land, we know the kingdom and its operation is the smallest thing in the heart of a believer. And it takes time for us to develop in the things of God. That's why in the book of Romans we're told something has to be done with our body and something has to be done with our soul. You see, the revelation comes line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. We don't grow overnight. You don't go from a baby to an adult overnight. It takes time. If we don't even know what our possessions are, how in the world can we possibly walk in the light of them? If we don't know what our blessings are, how can we walk in the light of them? We can't. So it's a learning process. Look at the book of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The apostle Paul making it very clear. Now, they came out of slavery. God got them out. But he couldn't get the slavery mentality or way of thinking out of them. And that's why they failed to possess their land and failed to really occupy the land. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable or spiritual service or duty. And be not conformed to this world, but transformed, how? By the renewing of our minds, that we may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So this doesn't happen overnight. And God couldn't get them to think right under the leadership of Moses. See, under Moses' leadership, they didn't get into the promised land. We understand by following that example, we can learn how to be defeated. And we can learn how to fail. But under Joshua's leadership, they got into the promised land by studying it. From that perspective, we could learn how to succeed in getting in. But even though after they got in, some other things happened, which we know also. But at least it gives us a pattern to follow so that we can get in and begin to enjoy our inheritance in Christ. Amen? Amen. Now, Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Notice this. And notice he gives this section of scripture to us to reveal to us the importance of this particular event that took place in the lives of these people. Why? To be an example for us so that we don't follow that same example of their failure. For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized to Moses in the cloud, in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock, the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overcome in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us 
that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example but they were written for, down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages are, has come. Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. We have three sections here that we want to point out in this scenario. And number one, it reveals to us that they had the same privileges each and every one. And just like they all had the same privileges, we too all have the same privileges in Christ. Notice they all, you'll notice in the scriptures there that we just read, five times it says they all were under the cloud. They all came through the sea. And every one of these experiences are powerful experiences if you think about it. As they walked through the Red Sea and they watched it part, what an experience for them to have. Then they're all baptized number three. Number four, ate the same spiritual food. Number five, the same spiritual drink. So you see the food, 4,500 tons of manna coming down every single day. 11 million gallons of water coming out of a rock every single day. And that walk was Christ. And we see all this. They saw all that. You would think that would be impacting for a lifetime to see those kinds of staggering miracles take place among them. So they all had the same blessings. They all had the same privileges. Not one was any different than the other. How many know that God has no favorites? We all have the same redemption. We all have the same loving Father. We all have the same name of Jesus. We all have the same word of God. We all belong to the same family of God. Every single one of us has all things equal. No one has anything. We all have that name above every other name that we can use in our daily walk to overcome all the things that come against us in this life, right? We all have that. In other words, we start together on the same playing field, on the same level. No one's different than anybody else. We all have all things equal. But then number two, we see number two, God wasn't pleased with most of them. Notice it says most of them, but in actuality, that is an understatement. He was not pleased with practically all of them because only two of the two and a half to three million other than the kids 19 and under went into the promised land under Joshua's leadership. So God was not pleased. And he gives us a revelation as to why he was not pleased with these people. In the book of Hebrews, it referenced what? Their unbelief. But here, it, rep it really does it reflects upon their character and their conduct there are four things that we have listed here number one they were involved in idolatry they were putting things up above God in their lives and God absolutely didn't like that now can you imagine coming out of the out of Egypt and seeing the things that they saw and immediately getting involved in idolatry putting other things up above God that'll keep us out of our promised land in a heartbeat then they were in, engaged in what? sexual immorality 
You know the story when Moses was up on the mountain, they came down, he saw them down there doing the things that they did, idolatry, they're getting involved in, in immorality, and then they were testing Christ. If you recall, in the book of Psalms it talks about this, in the book of Numbers it talks about this, they tempted him these 10 times in the wilderness, and as a result, God was sorely displeased with them. They tempted him on numerous occasions. He said, surely you will not enter into my promised land because of these temptations. So let's think about some of the things that they did and we can learn things that we should safeguard ourselves from. Don't get involved in those kinds of things. And then also we see that uh, probably one of the biggest things, if anything that we could be guilty of, murmuring and complaining. Think about it. We murmur when it's too hot. We murmur when it's too cold. Right? Think about it. For some reason, I think it's just a built-in mechanism in all of our lives. It is easy to murmur and complain about what's going on. I guess in the, in the natural world that we live in, that's the way we've been programmed. We're told to count it all joy no matter what we're going through in life. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And if we want joy, we're going to have to shout for it. We're going to have to jump for it. We're going to have to leap for it, right? Absolutely. But yet we're not programmed that way. We're not wired that way. But God says, do it. That's where your strength comes from. But still, like them, it's easy for us to murmur and complain about what's taking place. Whether it's in our lives individually, within our families, with our children, in our government, we won't even go there. Thirdly, God limits our temptation. Aren't you glad that you and I are not allowed to be tempted above that which we are able to overcome and that with the temptation that God will make a way of escape that we're able to bear it. So no matter what it is, that may be coming against us and tempting us to do, let's say, what God doesn't want us to do, we need to have the mindset or the mentality that says, I have a way of escape. I can overcome this situation. And I realize that in some situations it's very difficult, but still I do believe that if we would draw nigh to God and let Him know, okay, Let's say that I'm not in a position where I can use my faith to overcome the situation right now in my life. So I'm looking to you for mercy. Have mercy upon me. Remember the man who couldn't believe for his, his, his son to be delivered from a suicidal spirit? I've taken him to your, to, yeah, he probably took him in the world somewhere, but then he took him to the disciples of the Lord and they couldn't do it. And he said, now I'm bringing him to you. If you could do something, have compassion, help us. And what did Jesus say to him? It's not whether I can have compassion, I have compassion. It's what you can believe. And if you can believe, and he says, help my unbelief. He wanted mercy. He cried out for mercy. And God showed him mercy and helped his unbelief. And you know that impacted him for the rest of his life. Having dealt with that son the way he had. All those days, all those years that he had to deal with this suicidal spirit. Now that he sees him every time he's free, can you imagine? And God showed him mercy. And we can cry out for mercy as well. As a matter of fact, many of the healings that took place in the Bible, they cried out for mercy. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. 
and God showed him mercy. And so God, through his mercy, will show us a way of escape to get out of the situation that we might be encountering. Okay, next, number seven. We need to get rid of the things that offend God. We need to get rid of the things that offend God. Sometimes, you know, it's just, I marvel at some of the things that I hear. People getting involved in witchcraft, getting involved in the horoscope, getting involved in all those different things in their homes, and they wonder why certain things are going on. Get rid of all that stuff. It's not a game that we're playing. It is a spiritual warfare that we're engaged in. And the enemy will use any trick that he possibly can to get a person to open up the door just a little bit to get their foot in. Why go to a horoscope when you can go to the word of the living God and get the mind of God himself and by his spirit he'll speak to us and show us things to come. Praise God. If we want to know our future, it's right there in the word of God. Can you say amen? But look at the book of Joshua. Now remember, they're in the promised land now. They just came out of Egypt, went through the Red Sea, 40 years in the wilderness, and now he's brought them into the promised land, and they're in the land of promise, a land that flows with milk and honey, and experiencing the wonderful things that God had for them. But the children of Israel committed a trespass and the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of, of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. Now, you just read that verse of scripture, and you know, we probably, oh my goodness, how could he do something like that? But when you think about all the things that he just saw, you think about the fact he was there at Jericho. He saw the walls fall down. He saw Rahab the harlot's house stay up, and he saw everything else fall, and the great victory that took place, he just was part of. And they were told, do not touch the spoil of wars for yourself. Don't take them unto yourself. Leave everything behind. But the silver and the gold belong to the living God. Put that in the treasury of the Lord. That's what they were told to do. Besides, it belongs to him. It's all his. The silver, the gold, the cattle on a thousand hill all belongs to him anyhow, right? But Achan decides he's going to take it for himself you see, he's not listening. He's listening to a lying spirit. He thinks he's going to get away with it. And so what does he do? He takes it, hides it in his tent. Now what happens is they go off to war against Ai. And when they go off to war against Ai, Joshua, he's not aware of this. So he thinks God's going to defend them. God's going to fight for them. They're going to have victory once again. But no, it's not the case. As they go off to war, what happens is God doesn't defend them. God doesn't fight for them. 36 men die. They retreat. And Joshua is about to pull his hair out. He actually starts blaming God and says to the Lord, what's going on? What are you doing? Why aren't you fighting for us? Why aren't you defending us? He's just crying out to God. And God says to him, there's sin in the camp. Don't look to me. There's sin in your camp. And until you deal with it, you're not going to have victory. Whoa. Well, look at Joshua 6.13. I think this is the English Standard Version of the Bible. Get up, consecrate the people, and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord, God of Israel, There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand, listen to this, before your enemies. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. So God was speaking directly to them and saying, look, I am giving you an opportunity for repentance. I'm giving you this opportunity to come forth 
and admit your fault, your sin, your failure. That's what he did. And Achan knew what he had done. But you could read the whole story in the seventh chapter and guess what? He still thought he would get away with it. He still thought he could hide it in the ground under his tent and get away with it. And what was he doing? Looking out for himself and for his own family. He wanted the silver. He wanted the gold. And God says, you're not just taking silver and gold. You're taking what belongs to my treasury. You are stealing from me. And so what happens is, of course, they have to come before Joshua and all that. And it's found out that Achan is the one. He's the culprit. He did not take the opportunity to repent before the Lord. Some people say this is a harsh judgment for him and his family. But you have to understand, we don't know all the details. What we know is this. This was, in the sight of the Lord, an evil thing that he had done. You don't rob God. And that's exactly what he was doing. And he probably had his wife in agreement. And maybe his kids. Teaching them the wrong things. Setting a wrong example for them to follow. And who knows how big this thing could have blown up. But, but we know this. They were defiled as a result of it. They lost the intervention of God as a result of it. Their enemies would prevail against them as a result of it. What was more important for them to have that? Or the favor of God, the hand of God, the power of God. Beloved, whether it's a life, a marriage, ch children, a family, a church. Even a nation. It pays to have God on our side. It pays to have the living God stand against the enemy. And be an enemy to our enemies and an adversary to our adversaries. But that's not going to happen you see, when we go against the will of God and sin against God, and that's exactly what he did. As a result, they couldn't stand against the enemy. So if we want success to overcome the enemy, what's important to do? Whatever it is that offends God, get it out. Get out of the house. Get rid of it. Don't, don't engage in it. Amen? Sometimes I think because of the so much grace preaching, preaching today that people don't want to hear this aspect of it. But beloved, it's the absolute truth. We can't harbor things in our lives. You can't walk around with bitterness in your heart and think that you're going to stand against your enemy. We can't be in unforgiveness and think that we have the favor of God. And even though people will tell you it doesn't matter because you don't have to confess your sins because they're all forgiven, I'm sorry. Get it out of the camp. Get it out of the heart. Get it under the blood of Jesus Christ by confessing it. And then you'll stand against your enemy. Amen. Next. Number eight, don't let anger cause us to make wrong decisions. Don't let anger take us to a place that we choose wrong and make wrong choices and decisions. Look at the book of Numbers, chapter 20, verses 11 and 12. And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beast also. And the Lord spake unto Moses and to Aaron, Because you believed me not to sanctify me or consider me holy in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. Now it sounds like that's a harsh punishment as well, but we have to remember this. He is in this leadership position and it is up to him to obey the voice of the Lord and then communicate that to the people. Why was God so angry that he hit the rock twice? 
Because the first time he brought walk, water out of the rock, he hit it once. And that rock that followed them was Christ. And it's a type of him being slain once for us for the blessings to flow in our lives. The second time, he was not told to hit the rock, but to speak. Speak. Vocalize. Speak to it. You see, Christ doesn't have to die again. He died once. All we have to do is speak. Amen. All we have to do is decree it. All we have to do is declare it. That's what Moses was told to do. And yet, this is one of the first times that we see anger rising up in his life. And him making a decision to respond to the anger and belittle and berate the people before he never did that. This is the first time he just comes out and really berates the people, belittles the people, condescends upon the people, and really gets caught up into a pride and arrogant attitude toward the people. Do I have to, listen to what he said, do we have to fetch water out of a rock for you? Wait a minute, Moses. We? Does that mean that God and you brought water out of the rock? Moses, you think you can do that on your own? You can't. But you could see he was getting frustrated with the people. He was caught up in the pride, in arrogance, and he acted out of the will of God. And that anger led him to make a wrong decision and choice to come across as if he was somebody so special. And he violates the will of God by smiting it twice. When he should have just spoke, water come forth. That's all he had to say. And it would have been done and who knows the scenario then? He might have been spared to, to go into the promised land. So don't let anger cause us to make wrong choices and decisions. Controlling our emotions is absolutely essential in order for us to experience and enjoy the blessings that God has provided for us in this life. Next, notice this. Age is not a factor. Age is not a factor. Doesn't matter how old we are, doesn't matter how young we are, age is not a factor. You take David before Goliath, look at what it says in 1 Samuel 17, verse 33. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him. Why? Because you're but a youth. You can't get into your promised land, you can't overcome the enemy, you can't get over this obstacle. Why? You're but a youth. He's a man of war from his youth. You're but a youth. So in other words, he is saying, your youthful state, being young, limits you. You cannot get into your promised land. You cannot overcome your enemy. You're going to be kept out. There's no way you can do it. Hmm. Well, that didn't pan out to be true, did it? No. He didn't let fear dominate him. No. You see, when you see God as bigger than your enemy, like David did, no matter how young you are, Praise God, he's going to fight for you and defend you. And that's exactly what happened. But then you've got the other side of the spectrum. I was really concerned about what, your, what word I should use here. Caleb was older. More mature. More seasoned. That's why I took younger and older. He wasn't old. He was just older than David was. All right. So look at what it says in Joshua 14. And now behold, the Lord had kept me alive. And he's, as he said, these 40 and 5 years, even since the Lord spake this 
word unto Moses while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness and now lo I am this day fourscore and five years old I would say that that's older than 15 wouldn't you so if one's 15 the other one's 85 that's a lot of years in between as yet I am strong as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me as my strength was then even so is my strength now for war both to go out and to come in now therefore give me this mountain whereof the Lord spake in that day for thou thou heardest in that day how the Anakims were there and that the cities were great and fenced if so be the Lord with me then I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said notice his attitude praise God doesn't matter if you're young doesn't matter if you're old er if we side together with God and do what God says to do praise God then guess what the promised land is ours we can get in so if we want our possessions if we want to enjoy our possessions then we've got to decree it if we don't vocalize it and decree it how is it going to be done the Bible says you shall establish a thing a decree a thing and it shall be established in other words we have to decree it we have to declare it and what did Caleb say I'm well able I'm well able I'm well able to take the land he echoed that he vocalized that all right next stand our ground we need to learn to stand our ground in 2nd Samuel chapter 23 we have a very interesting story here let's read it first And after him was Shammah, the son of Aji, the Herorite. And the Philistines were gathered together into a troop where was a piece of ground full of lentils. And the people fled from the Philistines. But he stood in the midst, this is one of David's men of valor, of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines and the Lord wrought a great victory. So here is the picture that we want to paint it's harvest time and the people are in the fields and of course they're working this is hard work it's hard labor and it's time to reap the harvest and get the food so they could have strength well the Philistines knew exactly when to strike when to attack and what to do and I guarantee you they didn't just want beans they wanted two things casualties and deny them food to eat to weaken them so that they could attack they could attack them at another time and have victory now you would think that the Philistines would wise up but as we study this group what we discover is this they weren't that smart they were defeated by David in the beginning their giant and then throughout their history we see that they were always defeated by the hand of God even when they got a hold of Samson they weren't smart enough to keep his head shaved they let the hair grow back right and he defeated them again so this is continuous as far as their let's say what about when they brought the Ark of the Covenant and Dagon fell so time and time again we see them being defeated by the hand of God right 
So now they attack again. You would think they would learn. They attack again. Now the people that are harvesting, they're afraid. And so when they see them coming in, now we're talking about skilled soldiers of the Philistines that are coming in and they're going to destroy the crops and they're going to kill as many people as they possibly can. What does Shammah do? You know it's after the name Jehovah Shammah the Lord is there. He stood his ground while they all fled for their lives. They ran scared for their lives but he stood his ground right there and defeated every one of the Philistines single-handedly empowered by the living God. Can you imagine that? I think any average person would want to hightail it out of there, wouldn't you think? But not him. They that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. But you say, but what does that have to do with us? Well, since you asked, Ephesians chapter 6 12 through 14, first part of 14a. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood or Philistines, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand therefore. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. There comes a time in our lives that we are not going to run scared. There comes a time that we have to make a decision and decide to stand and stand and stand therefore. So I'm standing against these forces of evil. I'm taking a stand against this thing that's come to my body, this thing that's come to my home, to my children, to my finances, to the workplace, to my marriage or whatever. I am taking a stand. I'm serving notice to the enemy that I am not going to be defeated. So we know that he's coming and we know that he is strategizing and we know that he wants to bring destruction our way because he comes to steal, to kill and destroy. We know that. But there comes a time that we have to say, I'm not taking it anymore. I am taking a stand. Okay, number one, why? Satan comes to destroy the harvest of blessings that belong to us. It's our blessings. These blessings belong to us. Every single one of us has been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. The enemy does not want us to know it or walk in the light of it. Do you realize that God wants us to walk around saying, not necessarily to other people, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Every day of my life, I'm blessed. When I get up in the morning, till I lay my head to rest, I am blessed. I am blessed. I am blessed. I am blessed in the city. I am blessed in the field. I am blessed in the basket. I am blessed in the store. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I am blessed coming in. I am blessed going out. I am blessed. I am blessed. I am blessed. Goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. The blessing of the Lord is upon me. Praise God. I've prayed for Israel. I've given to Israel. So the blessing is upon me and upon my life. As you said, Lord, 
I'm blessed in my health. I'm blessed in my finances. I'm blessed in my marriage. I'm blessed with my children. I'm blessed in my church. I'm blessed. And just keep, I am blessed. I am blessed. I am blessed. Thou shalt decree a thing and it shall be established. But if we keep walking around with negativity and speaking down, then guess what? It'll be established. But when we declare, I am blessed, I am blessed, I am blessed, praise God, I'll tell you what, you'll start to see the hand of God move in a powerful way. Number two, if we don't stand, we're going to give up ground to the enemy. If we don't stand against that thing that wants to really get in, it's the little foxes that spoil the vine and get in and undermine the work of God. Take a stand just like Shama did. Take a stand, I'm standing against this. You know, you may think, well, I'm weak. I can't do that. It seems like it's too overwhelming for me. He never said to be strong in yourself or myself. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Stand therefore, clothed in the armor of the living God. Praise God. You've seen the Roman soldiers in on, on movies in Hollywood, how they reproduce that for us. You can go online and look up their armor and all that. You can see how they've got armor everywhere to protect, especially their vital parts here. The organs here so they, they don't die with a sword by the sword. And then of course their headgear that they got covered. Then they got that piece, that, that part that comes down over their face. So there you are ironclad. You've got this armor on. But it's the armor of God. It's God's armor, right? So as long as you have it down, they can't see your face. The devil doesn't know it's you. He thinks it's God. But if you lift it up, he sees it's you. He says, oh, it's only you. Here he comes. It's the armor of God. We are clothed with the armor of God. It's the righteousness of God in Christ. It's the truth of God's holy written word. It's the gospel of his gospel of peace that our feet are shod with. Can you see? It's the faith, the shield of faith that quenches every fiery dart of the devil. It's the faith of God. And so as we understand that and apply that, then we realize, praise God, we can stand against the enemy not on our own strength, imagine just imagine men like Noah standing against all the opposition of the people that are saying to him you can't build that ark why are you building a boat are you out of your mind we've never seen rain it's never going to happen but yet he stood and he stood and he stood and he stood one disadvantage that we have living in this 21st century that we live in is what impatience we want everything in microwave fashion do we not sure we do if it doesn't happen instantly then something is wrong and we get all crazy about it. He stood for how long? We don't know how many years it took him to build that thing. But he stood and he stood and he stood. He refused to give up, to relent. He refused to listen to all the cries of the enemy to tell him to stop what he's doing. He stood strong, praise God. And the list goes on of all the other patriarchs of old that said, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego said, No, 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 we're standing against that decree. That decree will not harm us because we have someone who made another decree that is higher than your decree, O king. He said that if I go to the fire, I will not be burnt. I exalt his decree above your decree. It's basically what they were saying. I refuse. Daniel says, hey, you have a decree that says I can't pray? I'm going to pray the loud, all the louder. Opens up his windows for everybody to hear why he exalted the word of God above the word of man. And God honored it. Praise God. And the list goes on and on about these patriarchs of old that stood against opposition and said, no way. God's bigger. God's greater. Number three, our blessings are worth defending fervently. 
our blessings are worth defending fervently, which means with every fiber of our being that belongs to me you realize that this is when things really work when we get to a place that we say enough is enough enough is enough I am taking authority in Jesus name over that situation I am releasing the blessing of God in that situation and I believe to see the glory of God manifest in that situation I refuse to be defeated for greater is he that's in me than he that is in this world world I refuse to be defeated I'm an overcomer praise God by my faith I refuse to go down and then look at here in Ephesians 6 10 I already said that but God is looking for us to hold our ground he's looking for us to hold our ground finally my brethren that means what's left to do be strong in the Lord in the power of his might he's looking for us to hold our ground but not in our own strength in his strength, in his power. Listen to what uh, the psalmist said. I believe it was David that said in Psalm 27 verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I'm not standing against my enemy in my own strength. I'm standing against the enemy in the strength of my God. Praise God. Because he is greater, because he is stronger, because he is more powerful than any foe, I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to fear. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? He's the strength of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? He's my refuge and strength, a present help in trouble. Even if the rug was pulled out from beneath me, beneath me are his everlasting arms. There is never an occasion where God is not greater than the problem that we're facing. And he wants us to learn that and he wants us to know that and apply that to our lives hallelujah and then when we stand with God you gotta love this he stands with us when we stand with God he stands with us Second Chronicles look at this in chapter 16 that should be 16 verse 9 so can we, while I'm saying it Paul if you could find that that should be 16 in verse 9 not 6 in verse 9 so you can correct that in your notes it's something to see this here this is King Asa and there was a time in King Asa's life when he totally depended on God when they were attacked by the enemy and I mean they were outnumbered enormously he absolutely sought the face of God for victory but then how many of you know that when you get into the land sometimes it's hard to stay there and the enemy is looking for opportune times when maybe we've cut back on this and cut back on that because this time when they went out to war what he did was he made a peace treaty with some of the kings other kings rather than depending on God he depended on man and as a result, he got himself into a whole heap of trouble. As a matter of fact, he sought, when he was diseased in his feet, he sought not the Lord but man, and he died. But the eyes of the Lord, well, if we can get this deep in our souls, run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Now, envision that. Envision that. The eyes of the Lord are just running. Isn't that good to know the enemy's walking? 
and our Lord is running. Your adversary, the devil, walking around like a roaring lion, right? But the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Herein is, hast thou done foolishly, therefore from henceforth thou shalt have wars. And that's exactly what happened to him. Then he was diseased in his feet and he died. But when he trusted God, look how important this is. When he trusted God, God enabled him to defeat every enemy. When he made a peace treaty with man, he lost out. And as a result, forfeited his faith in God and tried to stand on his own two feet rather than stand in the presence of God and let God bring down his enemy. So if we want to possess our land, our inheritance, our blessings and walk in the light of them, we need to take a stand with God and let him know we know what belongs to us. We know the battle that we're engaged in, but we are standing, praise God, and we will continue to stand because sometimes we get to a place that we think, well, maybe my faith isn't working because it didn't happen instantly. And then having done all that we know to do, then we kind of think, well, maybe it's still not working. What are we supposed to do next? Having done all to stand, he says, stand. You stand there clothed in the armor of the living God. You stand there with assurance knowing that he's on your side and he will defend you and fight for you. You've got on the righteousness of God in Christ. You've got on the helmet of salvation. Your head's pointed in the right direction. That helmet of salvation means it includes my deliverance from the power of sin, sickness, disease, mental anguish, uh, financial despair, and anything and everything the enemy can throw my way. I've already been blessed with, praise God, and so I know what is mine. I know what belongs to me. So I'm taking a stand like Shammah did. And I'm not yielding ground. I'm not giving up ground to the enemy. I will stand and fight the good fight of faith. I'll fight, praise God, with words that will bring victory in my life. So thou shalt decree a thing. And then it shall be established. Can you say amen? amen. So if we want something to happen, start saying it. Start believing it and saying it. I say I'm blessed. I say my marriage is blessed. I say my children are blessed. I say my finances are blessed. I say I'm blessed even when I shop in the store. I am blessed in the storehouse, which could be your bank account. I am blessed and just keep on and keep on. I decree it. I declare it. I decree it. I declare it. I boldly say it. I believe it with all my heart. And you know what? People have tried this in the past and they did it haphazardly, flippantly, thinking that, oh, someone else said to do it, so I'm just going to parrot what they say to do. I'm going to echo what they say to do. It doesn't work that way. It's when you and I believe it. It's when we believe from the heart that what we say with the mouth will come to pass that we will have what we say. So I say I'm blessed. Every day of my life, I'm blessed. You know, some of these songs that we used to do in the 70s and 80s were some very good songs to sing. I am blessed. I am blessed. Every day of my life, I'm blessed. When I get up in the morning till I lay my head to rest, I am blessed. I am blessed. Hallelujah. Abraham's blessings are mine. Abraham's blessings are mine. I'm blessed in a city. I'm blessed in a field. Abraham's blessings are mine. What are those songs doing? They're impacting our faith life. 
They're putting within our spirits words of power. You see how easy it was for these people that saw miracles take place right before their eyes to do what? Shift over to living in the natural. And that's just as easy for us to do. It's true. That's why we have to hear this all the time. All the time because we're operating in a different realm. Let's stand together before the Lord. Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school, if you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound. And through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world through a ministry of excellence to God first and then also to you. So whatever the situation, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you and God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I now accept you and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus. I'm now your child in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.